Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, and we're currently on season two. Whether you're watching for the first time, or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show. Thanks for listening. Now on to the episode. Hello, you are listening to Season 2, Episode 3, School Hard. This is a big episode, Kara. This is a big one. Absolutely. I know that this episode means a lot to a lot of fans out there. I think a lot of our listeners have been waiting for us to get to this episode. I remember this episode very well because it actually is a huge deal. (laughs) It's a huge deal and it's a really good episode. So Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm excited. I was excited to rewatch it and I'm excited to talk about it with you because I think this episode is very similar to Angel, both in terms of we are learning about another significant vampire in this series, but the quality of the episode is very similar. Like the stakes are high and we feel the weight of being the Slayer on Buffy's shoulders in a very intense and personal way. So I'm excited to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And um, for those of you who are watching the series for the first time with us, We are obviously going to avoid spoilers for future episodes, but I think you'll be able to tell from the way we talk about it that uh, Spike, who's introduced in this episode, is just he's such a significant character in the Mm Buffyverse. So we're not going to reveal why, but let's just say Spike sticks around and he has a huge role to play in this series. He is a fantastic character. The acting and the writing are both great. And something that I love about this episode is that literally from the first moment we see him, he is just nailing it. You know, there is no uh, adjustment period. He doesn't need to get into the character. Spike is Spike from the moment we meet him. And that does not change. And that is glorious. Let's get started so that we can get to when he rolls in, which is actually very, very soon. So we start the episode at school in Principal Snyder's office. He is lecturing Buffy and another troublemaker, another, I would say, your stereotypical 90s bad girl named Sheila. And Sheila apparently stabbed a teacher. And Buffy, of course, burnt down her old school. So they're the top two targets that Snyder is coming down on. Right. So I don't understand (laughs) Sheila assaulted somebody, and this isn't a matter for the police. You're just going to give her a slap on the wrist, threaten her with expulsion, and tell her to plan, like, the parent-teacher night? Like, Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, so he's telling them that it's up to these two, the most delinquent students in school, apparently, to plan the parent-teacher night that's coming up. That's actually a really important night for the principal. And I was like, what is the strategy here, Snyder? Like, if you can't expel them for stabbing a teacher, what makes you think you can expel them for getting parent-teacher night wrong? 
Like, I don't understand. <laughs> I, I mean, did you try that lemonade that Buffy made? Because I hear it was pretty bad. <laughs> I do like a nice sour lemonade, in my opinion. But but I, I'm just saying, like, I, <laughs> as far as events go, this is a really easy one to plan. I've planned many events for my job. And, like, this one is, like, you know, it's a, it's a no-brainer. And I think Buffy pulls it off. We're getting way ahead of ourselves. But okay. what I'm saying is um, I don't I don't understand why he thinks this is the way to go with their punishment or with their their ability to make up for it. So as Buffy and Sheila are leaving school, it's very clear that Sheila is going to be zero help and she's just going to fuck off. And she goes off to a car and starts making out with a guy that looks like Kid Rock. And Xander and Willow uh, meet up with Buffy and they're like, and Buffy's like looking at Sheila and she's like, this is who my mom thinks I am, <laughs> right? Like she thinks I'm a Sheila. Xander and Willow give a bit of a background on Sheila. Basically, she smokes and she dates guys that look like this and she's a bad girl. <laughs> <laughs> but like a very like stereotypical 90s tv version of a bad girl exactly. in high school, right? that's why and like i think i don't know why they introduced sheila at all in this episode to be honest but the comparison between her and buffy is like very apparent it's like this i, is I who think buffy... that's what they're going for yeah. for sure but maybe it just gets overshadowed by what actually what the important things in this episode <laughs> exactly exactly so while they're talking about Sheila, Buffy does bring up, like, the reason I am the way I am is because I'm the Slayer. What's Sheila's excuse? And do you think the other Slayers had to go to high school? And that question stuck with me because I was like, that is an excellent question, Buffy, because we don't know. But it, it does appear that you going to high school is incredibly unique and what makes Buffy so special. So... Xander says as long as nothing happens between now and parent-teacher night, everything should go smoothly. And of course, Buffy and Willow get pissed that he said that because he's jinxing it. And, you know, the Hellmouth is always listening. So, like, they're, they're like, why would you say that? And Willow says, what were you thinking? Or were you even thinking at all? And I was like, Willow just put into words the theme of what our entire podcast has been up to this point, right? Like, Xander, why did you say that? <laughs> And then, of course, because he did jinx it, we cut to the Welcome to Sunnydale sign, which gets completely destroyed and run over by a car. And from the car, we see the door open, we see a boot hit the ground, and then a long black coat, and a vampire with bleached blonde hair and a British accent comes out. He's smoking, so he's also a bad boy because he's smoking. hard rock music playing. Yep. Yep, and he says, home sweet home. Like... He has arrived, ladies and gentlemen. There he is. <laughs> what an entrance. I know. Like, we have not had a villain entrance that good. Like, I think you'll agree with me, Stephanie. This blows the Masters rising from a blood pool entrance out of the water. Oh, yeah. Like, no competition. And it completely overshadows Colin's a child reveal. <laughs> Exactly. For the anointed like, one. Yeah. This vampire is bad news because he's a bad boy, just like Sheila's a bad girl, right? Yeah. Because of the smoking and the music <laughs> yeah. and just the attitude, you know? Yeah. He's not over-the-top evil like the master. He's just like, I'm going to mess you up because messing people up is what I do. Yeah, everything about this entrance, just the very first glimpse of this vampire, you can just tell that he's not... 
your master's vampire. He's not the kind of vampire that we've seen so far. This is a modern vampire. This is a vampire that mm-hmm. is a little more wild and not so ritual, right? So after the credits, we're in Colin's factory. I missed Colin. <laughs> missed you, buddy. Hey, Colin. We, whenever you're not in an episode, we're like, what's Colin up to? Well, he was recruiting. A whole new crew. And he's interviewing them right now. It's a group interview. <laughs> and they're all talking about who will take the master's place. I gotta say, like, Colin must have learned a lot from the master. Because <laughs> yeah. for somebody who's, like, what, eight years old? He knows a lot about, like, managing a business and stuff. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, like, he's making sure his staff is up to scale. And, like, they're going to be up for the challenge ahead of them, which is to kill the Slayer and be the baddest vampires in the world. And one vampire who is, like, it's his turn to do the interview, he's saying that he's the next one to take out the Slayer. And the Knight of St. Figius is approaching, and he will kill her. And it will be the greatest event since the Crucifixion. And he would know because he's been there. Like, this is this is great. He's, like, you know, his selling point is right there. But that's when this bleach blonde vampire comes up behind him and basically makes fun of him and says please if every vampire who said he was at the crucifixion were actually there it would have been like woodstock (laughs) and i love that line and this vampire says he was actually at woodstock and um he introduces himself as spike after Colin asks, and he knows that who Colin is because he read about him. He says, oh, you're the anointed guy. <laughs> so then Spike starts bragging that he can kill Slayers, that he has killed a few in his time, one during the Boxer Rebellion, and he doesn't want to brag. Just kidding, he loves to brag. So, like, we're getting a lot <laughs> about his character right well, now. Well, and we're also learning he likes to talk, right? Mm. And, like, the Master likes to talk as well, but... The master was all religious, empty, like prophecy talk, whereas Spike is just jabbering on about himself. He's promoting himself. Yes. And I think it's important to note that because a lot of the minor vampires we see in this show are not very smart. You know, they got turned because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. A lot of them have like criminal backgrounds. A lot of them probably don't have a great education. Whereas, like, Spike, as we're going to learn later in the episode, he's been around for a couple centuries. He's learned a lot. Uh, He may not seem overly intelligent or book smart, but he's clearly done some reading. And there's a sophistication to him that his chaotic exterior belies. Well, and the fact that he's saying he was at the Boxer Rebellion, he was at Woodstock... Clearly, he gets around. he's been around, and uh, and yeah, he does have a completely different attitude and way about him than any other vampire that we've seen. Like for for one, like you just said, we know he's not going to be a background vampire. Like he's he's a big deal. He's a leader of some sort, mm. and the fact that he says that he's killed slayers in the past, like this is a big deal. So he suddenly senses something and he changes back into his human face and behind him, this wispy looking brunette vampire in a white doll's dress. Like I think it's a, it's like a long nightgown almost. Mm-hmm. And she's walking up to him. He calls her Drusilla and she speaks in a very childlike way, very whimsical and very creepy. That That's what I wrote down in my notes is yeah. Drusilla is so creepy they choose to play this baby like music around her while she's speaking and she she doesn't speak in normal sentences like while we see spike boasting and bragging about himself drusilla doesn't speak like that she speaks in 
almost like prophecy. Um, she speaks in riddles, like she doesn't speak normally. And she says that she senses that Colin has power. And I wrote here, uh, since when? Like, what is Colin's power besides being the anointed one? We don't even know. I mean, he has excellent fashion sense these days. <laughs> we well, you know he's a sharp dresser. Uh, but but Drusilla obviously has some sort of keen sense about her that she can just, that she says it. She's like, I sense it in this one. And because she speaks like a child, we believe her because she's that creepy. And Spike, the way he acts around her, it's so funny. It's like that contrast between him being this like boisterous man. And then when Drusilla comes, he takes off his vampire face. He's incredibly Mm -hmm. caring for her. He puts his jacket around her when she says she's cold. They have a very sexual vibe to them. Well, yeah, because then they start to like kiss and make out. Yeah. And she like uses her fingernail to scratch his cheek and draw a little bit of blood and then she licks it. Yeah. And like, I don't want to yuck anybody's yum here. Like if if any of our listeners are into blood play, you do you. But that's a little bit OTT for me. And <laughs> <sighs> I just like, yeah, they're they're clearly into each other, if you know what I mean. Yes. Yes, they do the devil's tango, you can tell. <laughs> what the important thing to bring from this conversation is, is that Uh, Spike has killed two slayers in the past. He is saying to Colin that let us move into the nest and I will take care of the slayer for you. Okay, he says he's killed two slayers. Yes, he's saying that. Mm -hmm. We haven't seen this guy fight yet, so... So we know that vampires love to talk and love to boast. So he's saying that. That's all all we can take is... All we can take him for is his word right now. And Mm -hmm. that's what he's saying. And then we're also learning that he has this very... uh, He's in a relationship with Drusilla, from what we can tell. Mm -hmm. So that's important to note, too, from this scene. So Spike asks if the Slayer is tough. And that's, of course, when we cut to (laughs) Buffy, (laughs) who is trying to comb knots out of her hair in her bedroom. Her mother comes in and says, what are you doing? And she calls in a cream rinse she's like this cream rinse is not rinsy or whatever and i think she means conditioner (laughs) and i don't know if they used to call it cream rinse i don't know back in the old days back in those days and uh her mom says that she got the mail and a reminder note that parent teacher night is thursday and buffy clearly had not told her mom about it and her mom Again, she brings up the fact that they moved there because of Buffy's problems in the past, and she had to start a whole new life and a whole new business and a new town, and she doesn't want Buffy to disappoint her again. And I was like, ouch, Buffy's mom. I know. Ouch. I was really unimpressed with Buffy's mom's parenting here. Like, we've gone back and forth on the quality of the parenting. We know Buffy's mom is trying, but you're putting so much pressure on Buffy And you're like telling Buffy like, oh, you just have to work harder. Just try harder, Buffy. You're not trying hard enough. And it's like, maybe sit down and actually just let your teenager talk to you. Maybe listen for once instead of just assuming that the problem is Buffy. Maybe the problem isn't Buffy. (laughs) So I'm sorry, Buffy's mom. I cannot hand you any parenting awards for this scene. I think you've overstepped and you're stressing Buffy out and she doesn't deserve that. And let's not forget that Buffy just went through a whole summer of being melancholy. And the last time we saw you, Buffy's mom. And she died. 
don't forget. <laughs> yeah, and she died. So, like, to bring up something that's been, it's probably been, like, at least eight months since you had to move to Sunnydale, like, let it go. And we talked about this, like, last season. We're like, hey, you moved to get a fresh start. So give Buffy a fresh start. Stop bringing up the past. Stop making her feel bad about this. She's trying. And like you said, just ask her, like, what's going on? Why Why are you struggling with school? Like, just be more of a listener, less of a less of a finger pointer. And Buffy says that she's under a lot of pressure, which we know she is. And Buffy's mom says, well, wait until you get a job. <laughs> and then she leaves and Buffy looks in her drawer and there's a holy water and steak in there. And she just says, I have a job, sadly. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. No, no, no parenting points for your uh, Buffy's mom here. In the next scene, Sheila, surprise, surprise, is a no-show for getting everything ready for parent-teacher night. So Buffy is working on banners, and Willow is there to help her. And uh, Willow is saying that Sheila frequents this bar called the Fish Tank. And she says the fish tank is, like, known for all the raids and for, like, having a rough crowd. And I was like, is that any different from the bronze, Willow? (laughs) I mean, the bronze seems to be mostly teenagers (laughs) and live music, so. But the bronze, we already know, is, like, a a frequent place where gangs take over and there's, like, shooting problems and roaches. Like, you, you can't be talking shit about the fish tank when it's probably exactly the same as the bronze. But maybe an older crowd, uh, an of-age crowd. So they're deciding, should Buffy study or should she go to the bronze tonight? And Will says, well, if you go to the bronze, you might see Angel. And that's when, of course, Xander pops up and says, studying comes first. And shut up, Xander. <laughs> and Buffy says that she can study and she can go to the bronze and she can make her mom happy and she can do parent-teacher night all as long as she doesn't have to fight vampires. And then, of course, that's when Giles and Jenny come over arguing about research. They let them know that that Saturday night, the night of St. Vigius, which is apparently some sort of medieval vampire holiday that celebrates... Even vampires need holidays, Steph. <laughs> I mean, I would assume they should get a holiday. And yeah, I guess like all that time ago, a vampire army took like destroyed a bunch of towns. So I guess that's what the vampires are going to do this holiday. I don't know. Um, Buffy says, okay, fine, but I need to get through parent-teacher night. And Giles starts lecturing her about being flip about the situation. And... Buffy says, okay, well, me getting kicked out of school is just as important as as this. Which I agree with Buffy. And once again, Giles, as Buffy's dad, is not doing a great job of parenting here. He's doing the same thing as Buffy's mom and basically putting all the pressure and responsibility on Buffy. Whereas it's like, it's not Buffy's problem that she's being pulled in all of these different directions, Giles. Also, he does say to her, because Willow and Xander pipe in and say, hey, we'll help prep for Saturday so Buffy can get through this week. And he says, your help is appreciated, but in battle, Buffy must fight alone because she is the slayer. And I was like, hold the phone, Giles. (laughs) Not three episodes ago, you were gonna, like, you were like, damn, prophecy and damn the books and you are gonna go and fight the master in buffy's place so what kind of backward stepping are the writers doing here with giles and later in this episode giles is like trying to get out into a hallway 
to fight vampires and help keep Buffy safe. So yeah, yeah Giles is wildly inconsistent on whether or not he thinks Buffy should be alone. Yeah, and I get it. Like, well, obviously, all these adults in Buffy's life are trying to yank her in every direction, right? Like, they're trying to tell her, you know, your parent-teacher night is important, and your homework's important, and slaying is important, and like, we're and Willow wants her to come to the bronze. So we're just getting all these different aspects to. Buffy's personal life and how she should be spending her time. So it adds the pressure. I get it. But I'm just like, okay, but Giles, you can't just be saying, damn all these prophecies in one episode. And then here being like, if you don't fight alone, you're not a good slayer. Like, that's not good pressure. That's when Snyder comes up and Giles and Jenny peace out. He's like, where's Sheila? And for some reason, Buffy covers for Sheila. And she's like, oh, Sheila just went off to get some paint. And I know that Buffy has shown how compassionate she is and how kind, but I personally don't understand why she decided to hang herself out to dry for Sheila, because Sheila would obviously never do that for her. So I don't That's see... That's just because you're a mean person, Steph. <laughs> I would have sold out Sheila so fucking quick. Buffy um... <laughs> is a hero, and she doesn't want to see Sheila lose her place in school because of a simple mistake Buffy is full of compassion and sweetness and goodness for now. <laughs> My face is souring up like I just drank that lemonade. I'm just like, <laughs> like I wouldn't have done that. And uh, Sheila obviously comes up right behind them just in time. And Snyder just rolls his eyes and leaves. And he's just, you know, don't fuck this up. That night, they, they are at the bronze. But Buffy has found the balance in which she is studying French while at the club with all this live music and taking dance breaks. <laughs> studying with, like, huge air quotes around the word studying. And also dancing with huge air quotes, because... <laughs> it was the 90s. Yeah, yeah. So so Xander's like, come dance after they talk a bit about Angel. And obviously, Angel didn't show. And I was monitoring their dancing. Like, I was watching them in this dance scene, and... Interestingly enough, at one point, Buffy and Xander are holding hands while they're dancing. And I think it's very innocent. Like, you know, you can dance with your friends in whatever which way. But I don't forget when our eyes were assaulted two episodes ago when Buffy grinded yeah. up on Xander. So I was like, this is a weird, this is a weird time to just be like, let's friend dance, right? I feel like they haven't even addressed that. But whatever. You're not the only one watching Buffy dancing closely, Steph. Someone else is watching them dance and it is spike who looks super out of place at this children's nightclub but he is standing in the background watching this interaction go down and he's stalking buffy like just like watching her really intently and staring he goes up to one of the other vampires and he says go get something to eat and then he goes up to someone who's standing close to Buffy and says very loudly, someone call the police. There's some guy out there trying to bite someone. So of course, Buffy takes the bait and she runs outside to the alleyway where the vamp is indeed attacking a girl. And of course, the vampire is like, slayer. And she's like, slay. And they start to fight. And as they fight, Willow and Xander come and take the girl back inside. And Buffy says, I need a steak. And Spike is standing in the background in the shadows watching this all go down because he did this so that he could study Buffy's fighting style. Yeah, I noticed that. It's so smart of Spike. He's yeah. like, I'm just going to sacrifice this random vampire I don't really like very much. Yeah. And in return, I'm going to gauge if this Slayer is actually going to be any kind of difficult 
fight or if I can take her tonight. You know, he's like, he's being really smart. And again, this is a contrast, I think, with many of the other vampires we've seen who are, as I said before, they don't seem to be very smart. Or now that I'm thinking about it, maybe a more accurate way of discussing it would be they've really kind of succumbed to that inner vampire demon where it's like just the hunger and the animal nature all the time. Mm -hmm. Whereas Spike has retained, if not his humanity, he's retained that intelligence, that cunning that comes with being human. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's got his vampire demon on a tighter leash and that allows him to do these more considered tactical moves. Yeah, and uh, definitely more calculated, right? And he's not your average vampire, just like Buffy's not your average slayer, from what we can tell. Remember, we were always talking about, Mm -hmm. like, Buffy's a lot smarter than I, well, in the past that I've given her credit for. Her skill in fighting, her resourcefulness, her, just, she's just a good, she's an above average slayer, from what we can tell. So Spike is now proving that he's also an above average vampire just in the fact that he's Mm -hmm. taking time to study his victim and he's like a psychopath homicidal maniac but also he's like leering at her too so there's that vampire sexual nature to that as well so yeah so so xander goes through her bag and first he pulls out the yo-yo that we had seen earlier then he pulls out a tampon and treats it like a hot potato he's like (laughs) jesus and then he grabs a steak and I just wanted to point out here, um, they, he could have just reached in there and got a steak, but they chose to show us a yo-yo and a tampon. Mm-hmm. And can we, like, can we talk about girlhood versus womanhood? That Interesting. Is, that is the symbolism that I'm getting from that. She is on the cusp, right? And okay. I don't like talking about womanhood like that, but this is what the show yeah. is showing us right now. She is a, either a a kid playing with this yo-yo but she's on her period too so she's ready for sexy times <laughs> okay yeah hey I, I didn't i didn't pick what was in her bag that's what they showed us no i i think that's an interesting interpretation and i didn't notice that because i wasn't paying close enough attention to what xander was pulling out yeah but yeah like i think it's you're right it's probably very deliberate on the part of the writers so um it's interesting. Well, I only noticed it because, like I said, Xander treats the tampon like, like it's like on fire, right? I know. God forbid. Xander. <laughs> so anyway, so Buffy's fighting the vampire outside who, you know, is, yeah, I don't need to wait for St. Vigius. I'm going to kill you now. And then he also says, Spike, give me a hand. That's when Xander throws Buffy the stake and she dusts the vampire. And that's when Spike comes out doing the slow evil clap. And he says, you know, nice work. You'll find out who I am on Saturday. Buffy says, what's happening on Saturday? And he says, I kill you. And then he leaves. And so this is really interesting because we spent all of season one with Buffy never meeting the master until the very end of the season. He he was removed from her and they teased this guy for the entire season here we are, third episode of season two, and we don't know at this point how long Spike is going to stick around as the main bad guy, but at least for this episode, right? Like, they are not wasting any time. They're just like, yeah, like, Buffy, meet Spike. He's the new threat in your life. And it's very effective, all right? I, th- I think the writers make a lot of really good choices in this episode, and that's one of them. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he walks away, and then I guess we cut to the fish tank, which it looks exactly the same, same alleyway, or like just down the block, there's a different alleyway. <laughs> They're uh, actually like next door. They're like connected to each other. Yeah. The bronze and the fish tank are owned by the same people. Just, just another warehouse club in an alleyway, and uh, Sheila's leaving with two guys, presumably to go bang them in a car. <laughs> That's what she's talking about. Like I love. Why the feel do you of assume they'd even like get all the way to a car, Steph? That's <laughs> well, what alleyways are for. Well, it's the thing. So she's talking and talking, and she's clearly drunk. And you know, because she has loose morals, because she's a bad girl, she needs to be punished. So that's when Spike shows up and basically like lures her away. And we notice that the two guys that she was gonna bone are lying unconscious or dead. I probably unconscious though. Cut to the library, and the three are there with Giles and Jenny, and they're all talking about Spike. And Giles says, Spike is a very unorthodox name. Perhaps he had a different name before. And I pointed out here that, yeah, like like we just said, in that scene before, Spike came out, he said, I'm going to kill you, and then leaves. But the three seem really worried about him, and I don't think that's earned yet. And I think that because... Obviously, we as the audience have spent some time with Spike now, a couple of scenes, and Mm -hmm. we've met his girlfriend and we watched him stalk Buffy, but the other three haven't. They just saw him say that thing in the alleyway and grant it, vampires threaten Buffy all the time. So like Willow's like, ooh, like, ooh, he's creepy. And I don't understand why they have that attitude about him yet. That's fair. Like, um, was he that creepy in the alleyway? Like, we know what Spike becomes. We know who he is as as not our first time watching. But is he that threatening? Like, I'm actually, anyone who's new to Buffy and is listening along with us, can you let us know? Like, was, was he intimidating here? I'm confused. Yeah, that's a good point. If you compare him to Luke from The Pilot and the Harvest and how big and, like, you know, religious that guy was, in comparison, Spike is a completely different type of character but is he more scary is he more threatening yes to us? that's a good point point. and also were giles and jenny like already at the school this late at night in the library like did buffy and xander and willow rush back there from the bronze to discover these two teachers alone in the library or did they like call giles and maybe jenny at home and like be like we got a vampire situation, come to the library quick. Like, it's the same night, and it's pretty late. Like, how did everybody get together here? <laughs> well, I don't, like, don't Giles and Jenny live at the school? Like, isn't that... <laughs> oh, right, I forgot. Teachers live at the school, of course. <laughs> but also, like, we never actually ever know how late they're at the bronze when they're at the bronze. Sometimes I think it's directly after school, because there's no windows. We can't well, tell. It, but it's dark out, right? <laughs> yeah, but... So... It's hard to say. Like you're right. Is it 10 p.m.? Is it 1 a.m.? Were they there uh, after dinner? Like <laughs> you're right. We don't know why they were there. Anyway, so this conversation is a little overboard in my opinion. And actually, Giles shares my thoughts because he says, "Well, he can't be all that bad, right? Like, what are you like? <laughs> what are you like? What, what are you freaking out about?" And then Angel comes in out of nowhere. Angel shows up and says, "Spike is worse than the other vampires they faced." <laughs> 
And then he just like leaves, <laughs> right? Like else. they don't even get to answer a follow-up. They don't even get to ask a follow-up question. No. He just turns around and leaves, and the door swings behind him. <laughs> Classic like, Angel. Angel is such a fuckboy. Okay, <laughs> no, I no, I'm gonna defend my boyfriend because he came in and he started saying Spike is a bad guy, and then Buffy changes the subject to why didn't Angel show up at the bronze? And Angel's like, you said you weren't gonna go, and she was like, I'm playing it cool. You've been dating for 200 years. Like she starts like teasing him. So that's why I think he got uncomfortable. He's like, whoa, I don't like this being called out for my dating skills in front of this crowd of kids. So he leaves. Um, Buffy says her biggest thing at the moment is keeping Snyder away from her mother on Thursday. Jenny says, well, it should also be not dying on Saturday. Really? Speaking of being flip, I mean, Giles yeah. should call Jenny out here too. But of course he won't because he loves her. Because, but, yeah. you know, little flip comment from Jenny there. Yeah, but you know, sometimes I think Jenny, okay, I think everyone likes to think that Xander is the funniest person in this friend group. They like to play it that way. Buffy is the funniest person in this friend group. Her one-liners are fucking hilarious. Totally. Yes, I agree. But I think Jenny sometimes comes in with these, like, smart-ass zingers, and I'm like, you know, Jenny and Buffy have a lot in common when it comes to their personality, in my opinion. Yep. Uh, We cut to Colin's factory, and Drusilla is in her room and she has this collection of dolls that all have ribbons tied around their mouths. And I'm just going to say it like I have the exact same dolls with ribbons around their mouths. Like I have a collection of dolls, <laughs> haunted Halloween dolls. I knew you had a collection of dolls. I'm learning a lot more about what you do with those dolls in this episode. <laughs> I also turn them around so they can't see when they're being bad. Um, but no, like, and I, I, I love this idea that she has this, these, this doll collection because it adds to that childlike creepiness about Drusilla's character. And like, she's got this innocence about her, but that innocence is lethal. And it's unpredictable. Like the scene builds the lore around Drusilla and why we should fear her. She's playing with her dolls and Spike is there um, and he's so gentle with her. He really is like, you know, he's like, I'm going to kill you, Slayer. Then he's like, Drew, eat something, (laughs) right? Like really good on um, the actor's part for being able to play both sides like that. And Mm -hmm. apparently Drusilla almost died in Prague from a mob. So they came to the Hellmouth basically to heal her and... Uh, One thing that I noticed that Spike said was that in a couple of weeks, the stars will align and then she'll be back to normal and then they'll burn Sunnydale down. Yeah. So something I thought was interesting about this scene was how it's revealing that Spike has longer term plans in Sunnydale Mm -hmm. beyond just killing the Slayer, right? Because up until this point, he rocks up into town And he goes and finds the biggest, baddest vampire around, a.k.a. Colin. (laughs) And he muscles in on Colin's turf and says, I'll take care of that Slayer problem for you. And he's just like all these other vampires who are just like, I'm going to kill the Slayer. And it's like, okay, cool. But what's your game plan beyond that? And Mm -hmm. most of these vampires don't have one. But it's very clear from this scene that Spike has an endgame that goes beyond killing Buffy. For him, killing Buffy is just an item on his to-do list. Yeah, yeah. He has a larger goal, and that's very interesting to me in terms of Spike as a villain. Yeah, it is, because think about the Master's goal was to kill the Slayer, and then Hell would be unleashed, and that was as far as his plan goes. The fact that he's laying down these little breadcrumbs for what is to come later is 
is appealing to us as an audience. Um, so yeah, they're lying down on this bed and Drusilla's has some sort of ability to see into the future or she's got some sort of premonition thing going on. And she talks, mm-hmm. like I said, she talks in riddles sometimes and these riddles can be taken seriously or not, but I think they're important to think about later. And we notice that Sheila is tied up and watching this whole thing next to the bed. And Drusilla is basically like, you need to go make nice with Colin and his friends, go chant with them a bit, you know, like go do some worship with them, um, make friends and Spike's like, yeah, I'll go as long as you eat. And of course, Drusilla puts on her vamp face and she bites Sheila. I also want to say how strikingly beautiful this couple is. <laughs> Spike and Drusilla are a presence on screen. They have that on-screen chemistry, right? They do. And they, they just look really good as vampires and as humans, you know? Next day at school, everyone is making steaks. And again, I spelled steaks S-T-E-A-K-S. <laughs> Can you see it in my notes? I mean, um, I wish everyone were making steaks. That'd be <laughs> yummy. I was just thinking that. I was like, were they? I was like, oh, no. I meant steaks. I just got really excited because everyone includes Cordelia. She's part of the gang now. Cordy, what are you doing here? I love it. It feels a little bit random that they just stuck her in this morning. But you know what? Love to see her. And her, she says the funniest thing where Xander says, remember when like Saturday was just date night and Cordelia is like, you sure don't or something like that. Word. And was, like, like so can we get funny. a bandaid and some ointment <laughs> up in here? <laughs> so good. So yeah, so they're helping. They're, this is a weird little strange scene because I like they're just, I, th- I think the scene is here just to show that they're starting to prep. They're making their, their weapons. Mm-hmm. Buffy is not helping. She's cutting a veggie board. And I don't know, like, why is this scene here? Is it just to show that Cordy's involved? Like, I don't know. I think the scene is there to show us that this is going to be a bigger deal than just Buffy having to kill one or two vampires, right? Like, something's going to go down on Saturday. Mm. And there, it's there for the comedic juxtaposition of everybody is prepping for Saturday, <laughs> except Buffy, who is prepping for tonight. Yeah, her priority is is student-teacher night. So in the lounge, Buffy is making her lemonade punch, which we mentioned before is sugarless and very, very tart. And uh, she's really anxious. And her mom comes up and she actually gets impressed with the work that Buffy put into the night. And Buffy sees that Snyder's nearby. So, of course, Willow, being the ever-present, ever-loving, ever-helpful friend takes Buffy's mom off to French class because the library is full of weapons, so they can't go there. And I was like, okay, I know that there's some sort of big showdown coming on Saturday, but you know the school is going to be full of parents going on tours today. Why are you putting all your weapons out in the library, people? <laughs> because nobody, nobody's going to go to the library, right? It's so beautiful. It's the only place I would go on a tour in that school. <laughs> yeah, but it's full of musty old books, and the librarian is British and very rude. <laughs> Yuck, books. I'm not going to go in there. <laughs> so... Three hours go by. Looks like uh, the night was a success. Cordelia comes out and basically says, even slaves get minimum wage. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) The moment we want to like Cordelia, right? She just lets loose with a slightly insensitive comment like that. Yes. Just like, Cordy. Cordy, no, but... (laughs) (sighs) And then she just completely rips into Buffy's appearance for looking stressed are you skipping foundation (laughs) oh god 
I know. And like, that's the thing. I was like, hey, Cordy, you bitch. But then uh, Buffy's mom comes with Willow and she compliments Buffy's mom and says like, well, there's a woman who knows how to moisturize. And I was like, hell yeah, Cordelia, because Buffy's mom used to run the social group in L.A. before Buffy burned her school down. So don't you forget it. Buffy's mom is basically saying, hey, I saw your entire school, but I have not met any of your teachers. And that's when Snyder approaches and introduces himself as Principal Snyder. And holy shit, Buffy's mom introduces herself as Joyce Summers. Nice (laughs) to meet you, Joyce. Hello, Joyce. Praise Mullick. It only took us 15 episodes to learn Buffy's mom's name and let her name be Joyce for now on. <laughs> Rejoice for the Joyce. Rejoice. I just want to give Willow kudos here. She did a really slick job of keeping Joyce busy for three hours in such a way that she wasn't able to meet any of Buffy's teachers. Like that must have taken some level of planning on willow's part of like okay i'm gonna take you here and then oh can't take you here like and didn't willow have interviews with her parents and teachers so i don't know how she managed it but kudos to her i was just thinking that just now i got a pang of sadness i was like willow's a a goddamn genius where are willow's parents how come they're not at student teacher night willow is the smartest kid in school why isn't her mom here talking to our teachers being like so like how are we going to get my kid into mit or whatever right yeah so Snyder says we need to talk in my office and they go off and Joyce gives Buffy a look a mom look and heads off with him and Cordelia says by their 10th high school reunion Buffy's still gonna be grounded and Willow's like Cordelia go have some lemonade (laughs) go have some punch I love Willow so much I know so funny in the library Giles uh, has found some information about Spike and his real name is William the Bloody And he got his name Spike by torturing his victims with railroad spikes. He's not as old as Angel. He's barely 200. And he has killed two slayers in the last century. Myth confirmed. It has been confirmed from the Watcher's Diaries, which we know are 100% true. They're not allowed to lie in there. And I do love a good vamp backstory. Nothing gives me greater pleasure in this show than to learn about these vampires and what they've been doing for the last 200 years. And uh, I do do have to wonder, though. So it is confirmed. uh, Spike is a slayer killer. He's uh, the slayer of slayers. And... Why didn't Giles already know this? I just feel like if he has killed two Slayers in the past century, surely the Watcher's Council would be aware of this. Maybe, maybe not, right? Because if you're the vampire who ends up killing the Slayer, who's going to tell the Watcher who the vampire was, right? Because the Slayer's dead. Slayer's not going to be able to tell if the Watcher wasn't around. You know, like, I feel like that's the blind spot Mm. in watcher lore right is when your slayer dies either the watcher is going to get killed in the process or the watcher might know that the slayer died but unless they were there to see it happen they might not know the exact circumstances and so it's kind of like okay well the slayer died also we're getting the impression here that most watchers were not as caring for their charges as giles so it might also (laughs) just be a case of like oh okay well this slayer's dead don't care anymore 
let's go to the next Slayer, right? Like, why do we care why this Slayer died? Obviously, that meant she wasn't good enough. Yeah, that's fair. That's very fair. I just feel like everyone knew, like, remember when they found out about Angelus and he's like, he was like a big deal and he had a huge backstory, all this stuff. Like, just Spike has killed two Slayers. How come, like, you know, more people should know who Spike is, you know? Right, but keep in mind, this is like you know, late 90s, Mm. also Giles doesn't spend a lot of time on the internet. Access to information back then was far more fragmented. These days, of course, it would be super easy to find out who Spike is because we would just Google Spike plus vampire and all of the resources Giles is consulting would be available online digitally. Giles doesn't have that, right? He has to spend the time finding, like the information is there, but he's got to find the right books and stuff. So yeah. I'm going to say we should cut Giles a little slack here. I think his research skills are fine. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. And I just got to jump into the reboot of Buffy when everyone has their cell phones and stuff and how these vampires are setting up their Instagram profiles. And all oh, yeah. Stuff. Like, it, it's you know, yeah. Buffy's going to have like an official Slayer account. Yeah. And she's going to be getting like all these hate comments being like, gonna like gonna slay you tonight from the Slayer. vampires, right? Like... <laughs> love it uh so joyce comes out of snyder's office looking super pissed and she's like buffy get in the car so it didn't go well and i'm pissed because buffy worked really hard on those banners she cut up the vegetables she pulled off a pretty successful night why did snyder still throw her under the bus you know like he he was just gonna do that anyway because he doesn't care (sighs) asshole so Snyder looks super smug about this, and then he starts turning off all the lights, even oh, though no. even though people are still in there talking and conversing. Like he just turns off all the lights on them. And I was like, hey, like like at least make an announcement, be like, time to go. Don't just shut the lights off. No, he's he he's he's just like, people will get the message here. <laughs> That's so rude. Uh, that made me laugh. But okay, to be fair though, Steph. Yeah. In our art gallery days, did we not also start turning off the lights when it was five <laughs> minutes before closing time? That's fair. That's fair. Like ding 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 ding. Like off and on, off and on. Did a little little flick. He didn't do a flicker for you know to be nice. He just shut the lights <laughs> off. <laughs> All right. Um, that's when a group of vampires burst through the window, led by Spike. And Spike says, "What can I say? I couldn't wait." So the vampires started advancing buffy picks up a chair that literally looks like it weighs five pounds and hurls it at spike and spike hits him and he falls back onto all the guys behind him it's quite comical and that gives buffy enough time to grab her mom's hand and start leading her away but that's when we notice the vampires are surrounding the school they're coming in from all different doors uh there's no exit where a vampire isn't And Spike says, nobody gets out, especially the girl. So this is a really scary moment. Like, this is the first time that a vampire villain has come after Buffy on her home turf while a lot of people are around, right? Like, we've had vampires attacking students here and there, but this is risky because he's exposing himself, especially to, like, these authority figures like Snyder. So... Spike must be incredibly confident of his control over this situation, and that's scary. It is, because up until now, all we've seen these vampires do is, like, operate in the shadows and be shifty, including Angel, who's part of that old-school vampire 
group. So yeah, you're right. It's very bold and it's effective. A vampire grabs Cordelia and she screams and Willow picks up a statue like a badass and hits the vampire over the head and her and Cordy hide in a janitor's closet. Giles, Jenny, and Xander run into the library and they're being chased by vampires and they start barricading themselves in, which is no, you know, they know how to do that because they've done it before. Uh, And they're in there with all the weapons and Buffy leads her mother, Snyder, and a group of other, I assume, faculty members, possibly parents, Mm -hmm. into a classroom across the hall from the library and they barricade themselves in as vamps try to break down the door. Yeah, so we've got like these different groups who are cut off from each other, yeah, yeah. vampires everywhere in the hallways. It's a tense situation. It is. And I, I do love seeing this action, this much action, halfway through the episode instead of piled mm-hmm. on at the end, which we're very used to seeing. A vamp tells Spike that they cut the power and no one got out, but they don't know where the Slayer is. And Spike is really angry at first, but then he breaks this guy's neck and he feels better. And you know how I feel about neck snapping. And that made me super uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm sorry, Steph. Oh, I hate it. I'm sorry that in this episode full of people having their necks bitten into <laughs> and stuff, that there was a little bit of neck snapping. But yeah, I'm with you. Like, again, Spike is not fucking around. <laughs> yeah, and it was very unnecessary. Like, I'd rather he would have just bit, like, bit him. But he did say before he killed him that you're too old for me. <laughs> So, so Spike has standards. I guess he's not that different from the master where he also only drinks from the youth. <laughs> so Giles tells Xander to leave through the, get this, boarded up cellar that's outside the library to find Angel for help. And what the what is this? What, what convenient secret cellar is this? <laughs> where it's just like there so that Xander can escape. In this one moment. And I don't know if they mention it again, but I was like, what? <laughs> Since when? And Xander doesn't want to leave. He doesn't want to leave until he knows Buffy and Willow are safe. And Giles, like, just, you know, they're not going to be safe unless we get help. And Xander, why do you only give a shit about Willow when she's in mortal danger? <laughs> That's I'm I more inclined to be charitable here towards Xander. I think it's sweet that he... His instinct here is to stay and stand with his friends. Yeah, that's very brave. That's very noble of him. I'm just saying he doesn't give Willow this kind of love and attention on a normal day. <laughs> you don't know. Maybe he's like, I refuse to leave the classroom until I know Willow has refused has leave the, left the classroom safely. Yeah, I'm going to validate Willow's feelings and not lead her on either. Like That's, that's totally Xander. Uh... Uh, in the classroom, Snyder is saying it's a gang on PCP. <laughs> Which is such a 90s thing to say, right? Oh, for sure. And like, you know what? I use that nowadays too. I'm like, oh, that guy's probably just on PCP. <laughs> like, no big deal. And he wants to try and leave through the window. And Buffy's like, you can't go outside because they'll kill you. No one goes in or out without me saying so. And she's like taking charge. And she's in a, she's, yes. she's in her slayer I, I authority. I wrote pretty much exactly what you did here. Buffy is like so in charge. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's... Not just the way she's talking, but her body language, you know? We kind of saw it earlier in the episode where she was confronting the vampire outside of the bronze. But this is post-Prophecy Girl Mm -hmm. Buffy. Like, 
I love to see it. Yeah, and she's so calm and cool. Like, you know, like she's yeah. like, I'm getting control of the situation. You're not going outside. Snyder says, uh, like, who do you think you are to give orders around here? And Buffy says she's the only one who knows how to stop them. And Joyce is very concerned for her. And she's like, Buffy, you can't go out there. Buffy plans to go through the ceiling. And she tells her mom not to worry. And she goes. And I like her mom, <laughs> Joyce. We can, we can call her Joyce now. Joyce is just like, okay. Like, I, I feel like just there's so many questions around why Buffy has this confidence around this. Why she's so in charge. And her mom doesn't even think to be like, why? She's just like, don't. I, I mean, Stephanie, remember, it was parent-teacher night. <laughs> Buffy's mom has probably taken, like, a couple of Xanax or something True. before coming here. She probably needed to, like, take the edge off. So <laughs> as far as she's concerned, everything's fine. It's wonderful. Yeah, she's like, damn, don't go out that window, okay? Let's just stay here. <laughs> now I'm just picturing Buffy's mom smoking a big joint. <laughs> While we wait, everybody, let's just light this up. <laughs> let's get real comfy. Oh, I love that for her. I hope that's the case. Jesus. That's that is explains everything as to why Joyce has been so chill and, <laughs> and she's just like to herself. She's just like popping the marijuana gummies in her mouth when we can't see. <laughs> that's why every time Buffy opens like a box that's like impossible to open or straight up tells her that she's a vampire slayer, Joyce is just like, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Have we stumbled upon the secret to Joyce's inconsistent we figured, we fucking figured it out. Also, Joyce was probably the one. Buffy's like, can I have dinner upstairs? Joyce is the one that put it in a bag for no fucking reason. Because <laughs> she was just oh fucking God. high. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Back to business. <laughs> Spike is walking the halls, calling for the Slayer like a cat. <laughs> He's calling out threats. Like, if I find one of your friends, I'm going to suck them dry. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> sexual. He knows that she has a friend. That's the thing, because he had watched them earlier. He had watched them at the bronze. So he's aware that Buffy has friends that are at her disposal to help. So I think threatening her friends was smart of him. And Spike is about to kick open the door of the broom closet where Cordelia and Willow are hiding. But that's when the vamps hear movement in the ceiling. So they can hear Buffy up there. And Giles is in the library jamming his pockets with weapons. And he's going to break down the barrier and go out into the hallway to help Buffy. And he says, you know, he's responsible for her as her watcher. And Jen I thought she had to stand alone, yeah. Giles. Giles, can you make up your mind, please? Are you also high? Like, what is going on on parent-teacher night? Jenny, at first, is trying to stop him, but she understands his role, right? Like, she just says, be careful. Like, she knows that he can't just stay here. He's her. He's Buffy's father. He has to go and make sure she's okay. And props to Jenny for keeping her cool head while under pressure. Uh, none of this matters, though, because Buffy at that point jumps in through the ceiling because she had crossed the hall up, up top. And Buffy gives them the situation and says that uh, she will go out and fight and Giles's job will be to take care of her mother. So even if Buffy doesn't make it out, Giles is to make sure Joyce survives. So her plan is just to take out every vampire one by one since they insist on staying in the school. And Giles tells her to watch her back. She grabs the bag of weapons, heads back up into the ceiling. Okay. 
So once again, Buffy so in charge. I know. She drops down from that ceiling and like Giles defers to her in this scene. He asks her, he's like, what's your plan? (laughs) So it's no longer, you know, Buffy is the reluctant slayer. I guess I'll kill the vampires. It's Buffy's in charge. And we're going to do it my way. And her plan is actually really good. She knows what she's doing. This is one of the reasons I love this episode so much. You know, Spike aside, who is such a great part of this episode, this episode just showcases how good Buffy is at being the Slayer and being a leader. Yeah. Like, Buffy, you're doing okay, girl, okay? I know you're feeling a lot of pressure (laughs) from all ends here, but you're doing just fine. We're really impressed with you. That's what your mom needed to say to you. So, back in the science room, Snyder is pacing and he says, you know, it's his school and it's very clear that his lack of control in the situation is causing him a lot of anxiety. And he says it's his... Good call. Well, I mean, he's just like, oh my god, like, it's his school and this is not going to happen here. It's not happening, basically. And... Joyce gives him snark, just like her daughter would. And she's like, oh, so just because you don't want it to happen, I guess everything's fine, right? Like, and a teacher is just like, I'm getting out of here. Joyce calls him an idiot, and they have to stay because Buffy said so. And Snyder's like, she's just a student. Like, what does she know? (laughs) As the two men start breaking out of the window, a vampire in the hallway Uh, is trying to break in through the door and Spike (laughs) takes his head and smashes it into the case that's holding one of the fire axes. He's like, use your head and (laughs) breaks it there. Spike is like, I'm I'm coming in. (laughs) I wanted to come into this episode with a blank slate because I want Spike to be blank for me because I have my my thoughts about him, right? Obviously, I've had it for years, but I want to come in as, as fresh as I can. So watching him do this made me like him so much more. I was already liking him, but to see him, like, just, like, take his follower, like, his guy, it, oh, it was just good. It was just really, really good and violent and funny. (laughs) (laughs) So, Snyder and this teacher are trying to break out through the window. This other vampire starting to break down the door with an axe. Vampires grab the guy that's on his way out the window, and he screams, and they pull him out, much to Snyder's horror. That's when Joyce moves up and starts closing the windows. She doesn't even say anything about the guy getting pulled out. She's like... That's fucking his fault, you know? And um, we cut to outside, and that's where the guy is. He's dead. He's lying on the ground. And Xander and Angel approach. And Xander asks if Angel has a plan when they look at the dead body. And he says, yeah. And he grabs Xander by the neck and steers him inside. So in the hallway, Spike can once again hear Buffy crawling around in the ceiling. And Spike grabs a rod from one of the broken windows, tables, or whatever it is that they broke through earlier. And him and another vampire start poking the ceiling to try to skewer her, (laughs) which is actually super dangerous. Yeah, it's terrifying. Like, Buffy is in real danger here. Yeah, I I was thinking that. I was like, holy shit, she could easily die from this. And that's when uh, she jumps down from the roof and dusts the vamp that has the axe outside the chemistry, the science lab. That's when Sheila finally comes to parent-teacher night. <laughs> and she approaches Buffy from the shadows, and we're like, Sheila, what are you doing here? I thought Drusilla ate you. Like, what's going on? Well, I mean, we could put two and two together and think, okay, something's not right. She's been jessied. <laughs> so, Ooh, I like that. Yeah, yeah, let's use that verb. She's been jessied. And Buffy... Uh, basically just says all those guys are trying to kill us. Sheila picks up the axe and says this should be fun. Angel 
approaches Spike with his vamp face on in the hallway, and he's holding Xander in a chokehold, and it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> and they greet each other like old friends. Spike is seems very overjoyed to see him. He calls him Angelus, his bad vampire name. And they embrace, and, you know, they're, Angel's like, I taught you to always guard your perimeter. And Spike's like, uh, I did, but I'm just surrounded by idiots. And... So from just from that one little sentence, we know that this there's a history here. Mm-hmm. At least we know that Angel had some sort of hand in training Spike or teaching Spike. So interesting. Spike asks about the Slayer. What does Angel know? Angel says he gave her the puppy dog, I'm all tortured act. And it keeps her off his back while he feeds. And Spike laughs and he's like, people still fall for that old and rice routine. And I love that they brought Anne Rice into it, who is, of course, the writer of Interview with a Vampire. And I just think it's funny that these vampires find that material, that source material for vampires so funny. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You got to think, like, in the Buffy universe, what's the explanation? Was Interview with a Vampire based on a real vampire in this (laughs) universe? Because the vampire, like, the main one, Louis, in that book is so, like, melancholy. (laughs) and sad and doesn't want to be a vampire so that's why spike comparing angel to that is actually very funny okay very good and xander says here i knew you were lying (laughs) and angel is just like offering up xander's neck to spike he's like shall we feed together cut to buffy and sheila sheila has her vamp face on now but she's behind buffy and she's slowly raising the axe so she can chop buffy in half And Giles, who's been watching through the library window, says, Buffy, look out! And Buffy knocks Sheila over. She dusts another vamp. Sheila sees her do this, and I don't think she expected Buffy to to have done that. So Sheila takes off. She just runs away. Yeah, it seems unclear to me if Sheila is aware that Buffy's the Slayer. At the the beginning, you kind of think, okay, maybe, like, somebody briefed her. Mm -hmm. But now it seems to me like maybe she's actually surprised that Buffy is fighting back. She thought she had just run into Buffy as part of the parents' teacher parent teacher night, yeah. and was gonna you know suck her dry. But for some reason, wanted to stalk her with an axe and not just bite her. Yeah, well, I mean, it's Sheila, right? Like it's classic Sheila. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but okay, here I want to point out an inconsistency here. Okay. Okay, so we just said that Sheila got Jessied, and that that of course means in the harvest when Jesse got turned into a vamp. And they thought he was a human until he revealed his vamp side. Now, Jesse and Sheila appear to have died, turned into a vampire within a couple hours. Whereas sometimes these vampires are buried. Like they're, they have a funeral and they're underground before yes. they rise. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Because I thought about it too in this episode, yeah. and I wasn't sure if I should mention it because I didn't want to get too nitpicky. But I do. Because <laughs> it seems to me like from my memory of of this series and also Angel, that part of the lore for vampires in this universe is you have to be bitten and then you also have to drink from the vampire to be turned into a vampire. Yep. But you also have, like, you die and then you have to be buried in the earth in order to reawaken as an undead vampire. Yeah. But I'm not sure how much of that is hard and fast and how much of that is just vampire ritual so maybe there's some wiggle room maybe they can like maybe the vampire can like 
speed up the process, but yeah. it has a cost or something. Maybe. I don't know. I, well, I mean, the, I just I noticed that here. I was like, sometimes Buffy's waiting in the cemetery for one to rise. Sometimes one can just be made in an hour when it's convenient, right? Because Sheila, yeah, for I think sure. at this point, especially so early in the series, yeah. the writers weren't really paying too much attention to the time frames yeah. for being turned into a vampire. Yeah. But maybe I'm really glad you pointed it out. Well, I just I'm like Sheila. That was quick. Holy shit. <laughs> maybe listener out there, um, if you know, write in. Tell us what the answer is because I'm just I just the timeline's off. That's all. So mm-hmm. Buffy frees the people in the classroom and uh, tells them to go to the library and get out. And Joyce uh, d- wants Buffy to come with her, obviously. And Buffy's like, no, mom, I got to stay. You go. And Joyce just lets her go because Joyce is high and she doesn't know what else to do. <laughs> so Spike asks where Angel has been this whole time and why he's scared of the Slayer. Is this torture thing an act or is he housebroken? So he's letting on to something here. And Angel says he saw her kill the master. So if you want to do this all by yourself, I'll just feed and run. And then they're both like, no, no, we'll eat together. And as they both lean down to feast on poor Xander, uh, that's when Spike punches Angel in the face. And he's, he freaks out. And he's just like, you can't fool me. You were my sire. You were my Yoda. <laughs> You're neutered, basically. And he does call him an Uncle Tom. <laughs> And I was like, yikes, that's a term that we don't use anymore, that he just used very freely. Yeah, it's not a great term for two white people to lob at each yeah. other. But... Uh, well, they're demons, I get it, but I don't get it. <laughs> so I also wonder, maybe back in the 90s, people would get it, but I, I wonder how many people today would understand that reference. Exactly, yeah. So we, we've talked about siring in the past with Darla. Darla was mm-hmm. Angel's sire. Spike is saying that Angel is his sire. And we don't know if that at this point, from what we've watched in the show so far, that could be true or or not. But the fact that Spike is saying it is another thing that we need to think about later on. Yeah, well, so they're all connected, right? Like, yeah. it's not just that Spike knows who Angel is. Mm-hmm. Spike and Angel have a past in a very similar way to Angel and Darla having a past. Yeah, the fact that he called him Yoda. It's like, you taught me everything I know. You are my master. Oh, I just thought it meant Angel spoke in cryptic sentences to Spike like he does with Buffy, and then he leaves. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. (laughs) Uh, So So anyway, Spike orders his followers to attack them. Xander and Angel run outside. And like, what exactly was Angel's plan here? What was he doing? (laughs) I mean, I, I assume, A, he was just having fun fucking with Xander, which, can we blame him? Um, and B, I suspect he was probably trying to buy Buffy some time. Oh, I see. Like, distract him. Yeah, because Buffy uh, is taking good. out the other vampires. If Spike finds her before that happens, then Buffy's going to have to take on Spike and a bunch of other vampires. Oh, well done. Well done. I love... When you justify Angel's actions for me. I love it. <laughs> You're welcome, Steph. <laughs> You're a good friend. <laughs> so, so I have to point out here, Spike is more or less by himself now. And he says, fee-fi-fo-fum, I smell the blood of a nice, ripe girl. And he turns around and Buffy is standing there. And it's just the two of them. And 
I'm bringing this back up because remember last, remember when we saw Xander take out the tampon earlier and he's like, it's a hot potato and he drops it and stuff. We can only assume that Buffy's on her period right now. So, I mean, maybe she just has a tampon in her purse just in case, right? Possibly. But I think if you're bringing a tampon to the club, the likelihood of you being on your period that night is very high. Otherwise, you just leave it at home, you know? But I'm just saying, if Buffy's on her period right now, which I'm assuming, can vampires smell that? And I think the answer is for sure they can smell it because they're they're blood hunters. I mean, we know from Twilight that they can. Thank you, Stephanie Meyer. So gross. And to be clear, I'm not saying periods are gross. I'm just saying the way she deals with it is gross and marginalizing to people who menstruate. Um, So, yeah, like another question I had related to how vampires interact with blood is going back to Sheila being drunk. When Drusilla fed on Sheila, could like can vampires get intoxicated from feeding on people when they're drunk? I yeah, because the alcohol would be in the bloodstream, right? Yeah, like I'm not yeah. sure if vampires can get intoxicated from ingesting alcohol because they don't need to to eat, so presumably like their livers and stuff don't function. But yeah. I wonder if you're getting it through the blood, can like get that give vampires a high? Because Spike did say he got high from drinking the blood of a flower person. Yeah. So. We're learning so much about vampires in this episode. I was going to say, we're really curious about vampires since Spike showed up. We're like, we need to know more about vampires. I guess that just goes to show, like, Angel's basically a man. I mean, we bring up that he's a vampire as much as we can. But we, like, he doesn't intrigue us the way that Spike is intriguing us. Well, because we don't see Angel feeding, right? Like, other than the Angel episode, Angel's vampireness is this abstract concept yeah 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 yeah. i mean the very act of spike saying i smell a girl and i know that buffy's on her period i just had to ask i was like for sure vampires would be able to smell that right and spike as i said earlier has this like sexual leering thing that he was he was looking at buffy homicidal like but also sexually and i think him bringing it up now is no coincidence so mm-hmm. Buffy asks, do we really need weapons? And Spike says that he likes them. They make him feel manlier, but they drop them anyway. And Spike says the last slayer he killed begged for her life, but you don't strike me as the begging kind. And that's because Buffy looks so confident as she's talking to him. And she says, you shouldn't have come here. And Spike says, I'll make it quick. It won't hurt a bit. And Buffy says it's going to hurt a lot. And again, I have to point out here, like, this is such a good exchange between the two of them. Yes. I see it now. I'm coming, like I said, I'm coming in here with a fresh mind. This is a sexually charged conversation. Yep. I know they're talking about fighting and seeing each other's pain, but there's a lot of sexual innuendos here. Like, oh, this like weapon makes me feel manlier and this is going to hurt. I'm going to make it hurt for you. Well, And I think this is why Spike goes on to become such a significant character in the show. I'm not sure if the writers intended Spike to be as significant as he becomes because his his fate is ambiguous uh, at the end of this episode. We don't really know how long he's going to stick around. Mm -hmm. But I think they recognized that he and like James Marsters and Sarah Michelle Gellar have incredible chemistry together. Like, they can carry that banter into the subtext that you're observing. And that continues on for as long as Spike is with us in the show. Like, 
anytime the two of them are having any kind of confrontation, whether physical or verbal, the sparks fly. Yeah, it's something I'm picking up more now than I did in the past, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not against it. I think they're both super hot, and I love this exchange. <laughs> I think it's I think it's a great exchange in terms of power. Like they're both super confident. Yeah. Obviously, we we trust that Buffy will win the fight, but Spike is very confident. Yeah, but so the question is, at what cost, right? Mm, exactly. So so yeah, so this is great. So they start to fight, and it is quite violent. And uh, outside, Xander and Angel are fighting vampires on the lawn, and Angel basically saves Xander from dying. Giles is leading pe the people out of the secret cellar, <laughs> and Joyce hesitates, and we know why, because... Just as Spike and Buffy, the heat of the battle, looks like Spike is about to kill Buffy with a giant piece of wood. Uh, Joyce hits him in the head with the axe and she says, you stay the hell away from my daughter. And Joyce, holy shit, you're awesome. <laughs> like That was awesome. And for some reason, though, for some reason, like Spike says women and he takes off. Okay, okay, no. I think that's a hugely significant line. Um, again, I don't want to go into spoilers, yeah. but I think we're learning something about Spike's character here that we should probably pay attention to as we get to know him better. I think that's very Ooh. significant. Ooh, okay. Yeah, Spike just, uh, he takes off into the night. He's by himself now. <laughs> His entire army is gone. Uh, so he pieces and Buffy and her mom hug. And <laughs> like I put here in my notes, so no questions about what you saw Buffy fighting or like why Buffy was fighting this man. And wouldn't now be the best time to tell your mom that you're a slayer. <laughs> that was a vampire and you were You, you would think him. so, but. You would think so. That would have been, that's when I would have let it out. But you know what? In your own time, Buffy, I just feel like, you know, not knowing anything that comes in the future, of course, that would have been a good time to say it. So. Outside, the police are talking to Snyder. Uh, the detective says that there are two bodies, one of them inside, which is, of course, the neck snapping, uh, and the other one, the man that was pulled from the window. So only two deaths in this hostage situation. Yeah, Not it's too a pretty bad. low body count. Yeah, I mean, we got more in the talent show episode. <laughs> yep. So the detective says, what should we tell the media? And Snyder's like, well, what are you going to tell them, the truth? And the detective's like, no, you're right. PCP gang related, right? So this is actually a very interesting conversation because mm -hmm. it shows that there is so much more to Sunnydale than what we know when the people who hold positions of power and pretty high positions of power, if that was the police chief, let's just say, that they're aware of shenanigans on the Hellmouth and they're actively covering it up. I agree. Uh, speaking of the Puppet Show episode... You might recall that in our recap, I mentioned it was interesting that Snyder was lurking around that basement so much and what happened to Morgan's body. <gasps> and I said, we're going to find out later. And I didn't realize this would come up so soon. I thought we'd have to wait a little bit longer. Me either. But yeah, so that's what happened is Snyder got rid of Morgan's body. <gasps> so he, he came into his position here aware of the supernatural threats and activity at Sunnydale and he's actively helping to cover it up and so this scene kind of confirms that and shows us like you said 
there's something bigger happening in this town, and I wonder where the writers are going to take that. Dun, dun, dun. Well, that's good. Yeah, because when you said that in that episode, you're like, um, something coming up. I had no idea what you're talking about. So this is nice. Like, nice. Well done. Way to, like, you know, cast the line and then well, reel me I, in. I, like I said, I didn't realize the payoff would come so soon. Yeah. I Because I, I was thinking kind of like even another season ahead where we learn even more about Sunnydale. So yeah, that's what I thought. Um, it, it, this, this thread is going to continue for a while. Damn, this episode's good. Okay. <laughs> Jenny and Giles are speaking outside the school and Giles said that he'd understand if she wants to avoid him because, you know, this stuff is going to happen literally every day. And she takes his arm instead. So they're in love. They're going to continue. So Joyce tells... Buffy, that Snyder said she was a troublemaker, but she doesn't give a shit because her daughter can take care of herself. She's brave. She's resourceful. She thinks of others in a crisis and she's going to sleep better as a mother knowing that. And Buffy asks how long until this wears off and Joyce says a week and she's like, that's very cool. And I'm just like, you know, Joyce, hold on to this feeling, okay? Please just hold on to this feeling that you know that Buffy can take care of herself and that she's a good kid, right? Like, stop bringing up the past, please. So we cut to Willow and Cordelia, who are still in the closet, and Cordelia is praying out loud. And she's like, you know, please, if you get me through this, like, I'll be good, like, all stuff. And Willow's just like, can you ask for an aspirin? (laughs) And... This is mm-hmm. a really funny scene, and I always found it humorous, even, you know, back then, of course, but even now, it's still funny to me because of nostalgia reasons. But I wanted to note that in the current climate of gun violence and school shootings, and the fact that this episode is pre-Columbine by about a year, it's actually really disturbing and sad to see Cordelia praying like that in the janitor's closet. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up because that's definitely an example of how as events happen after an episode comes out certain things that used to be funny now seem very different and and i just think it's interesting you know buffy doesn't stop and ask like where's willow is willow safe um but i i think you're right like this is a scene that was written to be a humorous situation in which Willow is trapped with Cordy and they don't know what's going on. And I think maybe the writers were just at a loss about what to do with Willow and Cordy, so they just kind of stuck them in the closet together. Uh, haha, closet. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I don't know, Steph. Um, but yeah, so I'm glad that you brought that up because that's a good example of, as we rewatch this series in 2021, it's interesting to see what jokes aged well versus what jokes haven't aged well, either because our sensitivities as a society have changed or because news and current events and things that have happened in the intervening 20 years have changed the way we look at these scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's like literally my thought process while watching it was, oh, yeah, ha, 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 oh, oh, no. You know, like that's what I was thinking. So... So yeah, and also, like, you just mentioned it too, like, Willow and Cordelia were incredibly underused here. I don't understand why they stuck them in the closet. Why We 
desperately need a Willow episode. Please, <laughs> writers, if you're listening to us from the past, give us a Willow episode. <laughs> why, like, why couldn't they have just been in the library with the others or, or in the classroom, right? Like, they didn't have to be yeah. portioned off, but whatever. Uh, the next morning, it's in Colin's factory, and Drusilla is comforting Spike, who is saying that this Slayer has family and friends making it harder for her to kill, clearly. And I was like, that is so interesting because Buffy yeah. had said at the beginning of the episode how, you know, like, she's in, like, were any other Slayers in high school? Well, do any other Slayers also have friends and family that are there getting her stakes and hitting bad mm -hmm. guys in the head with axes? Apparently not. That's very unique to Buffy. Exactly. We, and we, we've heard about this before. Like, we've had this sense that Buffy is unique as a slayer and part of that is her attitude as a person but part of it is that she is surrounded by these allies and it's nice to hear that villain state it so clearly for us yeah and it's nice for spike to learn very quickly that he is not going to be able to take this slayer down the same way that he presumably did with the other two which was probably just isolate her and you know fight her to the death He's going to have to be a lot more careful and calculating about how he comes at Buffy next time, because if he doesn't, he may not get a third chance. And Colin is pissed because he only has one friend left. And Spike bends the knee and says, hey, like, I'm, I'm here to offer penance. And Colin's scolding him, you know, and his, his friends, like, their numbers are depleted. St. Vigius is ruined because of Spike's impatience. And Spike starts to apologize. He's like, I was rash. But then he's just like, who am I kidding? If I could do it again, I would do the same exact thing, except I would do this. And he, Spike, grabs Colin, throws him into a cage, hoists him up towards the ceiling where sunlight is pouring in through the window and dusts him colin colin, no. colin is dusted we, colin, yeah, we, we didn't the, get enough of colin so colin is gone yeah the moment we we flipped to this scene and we saw spike and drusilla together and i saw that ray of sunlight coming in through the upper story window i was just like okay okay this isn't good there wouldn't be that ray of sunlight unless you were going to use it in some way well we so, never see them in the day exactly so i saw that happening i didn't see colin getting dusted of course at least not the first time i watched this episode mm -hmm. um one of our listeners actually wrote in to give us a little fact ahead of time for this episode which is that the writers originally intended for colin aka the anointed one to continue on for much longer during this season but because the actor experienced a bigger growth spurt than they anticipated over the break between the seasons, the producers decided that he couldn't really portray um, an ageless vampire anymore. So they changed their mind and they wrote him out earlier. Um, so thanks to Jessica for writing in and giving us that fact. Yeah, it's such a good tidbit. Yeah, Colin's gone. That's the end of the master and all his people. And Spike says, mm -hmm. we're going to have a little less ritual and a little more fun. And him and Drusilla hold hands and walk off to watch TV together. And I couldn't be more agreeable with Spike here. Season one and the last couple of episodes with Colin, like they're very, he's right, they're very ritual. They do chanting, they go by the book, they wait for the prophecy. Spike is not that kind of vampire. And we like it. We like the unpredictability. We like that Spike is, is a go-getter. 
and we want to see more of him. He's he's chaotic evil. He's, you know, a little bit country, a little bit rock <laughs> yeah. and roll. And it's going to make for a much more dynamic season two, because you're right. It's no longer going to be, oh, this prophecy is coming up. This Knight of St. Vigis is coming up. It's going to be, we can't predict what Spike is going to do next because he's chaotic and he's far more savvy of the 20th mm-hmm. century than previous vampires, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, he's clearly watched Star Wars <laughs> and after he takes care of Colin, you know, he just takes Drusilla by the hand and they step over the unconscious vampire servant. And he's just like, let's go see what's on TV. So Spike is a 200 year old vampire who watches Mm -hmm. TV with his mentally ill girlfriend. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I love it. And here's the thing. The question is, because we said at the beginning, this is a really good episode and it means a lot. And I, I'm on, two sides whether or not the writers meant it to be this monumental or if they it was a surprise to them too and on the one side the fact that mm-hmm. spike literally says less ritual and more fun that's exactly what his character does for the show it's literally out with the old in with the new spike gets rid of our old bad guy who at this point we're like we know what he's mm-hmm. all about like it's it's we've done the ritual it's boring Spike is literally replacing him and he's fresher, more fun and exciting. Like, I think that was brilliant. It's a brilliant choice for them to make storytelling wise. But then on the other hand, did they know what this was going to become? Could well, they have predicted I mean, it? like I said earlier in the episode, I don't think they knew Spike was going to be as significant to the series mm-hmm. overall. I think they probably had plans for Spike. But I believe that given how well James Marsters performed in this character, they probably at some point in the future decided, okay, no, like we need to do even more with Spike. Like we cannot let this, we cannot pass up this opportunity. So I'm so excited, especially for our first time watchers and listeners to experience this because Spike is one of my favorite characters in terms of how much he changes during his time on the series. And I won't go into any details, but it's such a treat to watch. Yeah. Who's your hero this episode? Okay. My hero, which like the moment I saw this happen, I'm just like, okay, she's my hero. It's got to be Joyce. (laughs) Joyce. Pax mom. Yeah. You know? Because we know her name now. Exactly. That, that's it. That's exactly it. She's heroic for finally telling us her name. Um, I chose her as the hero because I was hard on her at the beginning of the episode. But at the end of the episode, like she literally fought for her child. And that's heroic. She's a great choice. Who's your hero? I'm going to choose Buffy. Because okay. for all the things that we said that she likes, she did in this episode, she handled the pressure she executed a wonderful event, but she also saved the night, too. And she was in command. She was confident. I loved her exchange with Spike. She's not putting up with his shit, either. Just really good episode for Buffy overall. Okay, shall we talk about our hot steak for this episode? Let's do it. So this, the hot steak from today is from Sunny, who reached out on Instagram. And she was really excited to talk about School Hard, which she says is her favorite episode. She said, nothing was ever the same 
after this episode. She feels like this episode is the turning point for the show. We start departing from the Monster of the Week format, and the main villain is a lot more involved with the story. Not to mention that Spike and Drusilla break the mold compared to the villains we have seen before. Spike and Drusilla are more chaotic. The whole time for a, less, for a little less ritual and a little more fun. And in contrast to what we were told, Spike and Drusilla are clearly capable of love and affection. And it's even stated later in the episode. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I think Sunny makes a lot of points, some of which we touched on in our recap. And I, I agree that, as you just pointed out, Steph, this is a huge change for the show. Um, and I like that Sunny also added that it is breaking us away from the monster of the week format. So it'll be interesting as we continue in season two, how often we get that monster of the week still. Um, But yes, we're going to see it less often from now on. I'm not sure I agree with the idea that Spike and Drusilla are capable of love and affection. I I think we talked about this a little bit in Angel when it came to like Angel and Darla. And, And this may just be my personal interpretation of what people are capable of mm-hmm. when they don't have souls. And obviously we can't test this empirically in the real world. Um, so my reading on vampires in love is that it's not really love. It's a, a shadow of love. It's a facsimile of love, right? They remember what love felt like from their time as humans, but they're not actually capable of feeling it. It's a combination of that intense sexual lust that they get as demons with their memories of how it used to feel to be affectionate for somebody but i I will say like i agree that vampires can care for another person like spike as you pointed out has a vested interest in drusilla's Mm well-being which and i didn't say this at the time i thought that was like a an interesting risk that he took bringing drusilla into that factory at the very beginning because he was showing his vulnerability, mm-hmm. right? He was showing all these other vampires that he cares for this vampire who seems to be weaker. Not that she is, but she seems to be weaker. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, they, they may not want to take down Spike, but if Spike is gone fighting Buffy and Drusilla's there, like that leaves him open to being attacked through her. So while I may dispute the essence of Spike's feelings for Drusilla, it's totally a valid point that Spike and Drusilla have a close relationship that's different from the relationships we've seen between other vampires so far. Yeah, and it's for sure really interesting. And I liked what Sunny pointed out with um, the mention that they are way more chaotic than what we've seen in the past. Mm. And that's something that we've definitely touched on already, but they seem to have some sort of relationship, Spike does anyway, with Angel. And we got a little bit into that with Darla's past with Angel in that um, that connected Angel to the vampire world. Well, he seems to have some sort of relationship with Spike for sure. And the fact that he called him his sire. So it is interesting how these villains are once again going to be more connected to our hero than what Colin might have been. So it is very smart. R.I.P. Colin. (laughs) (laughs) R.I.P. Colin. Um, 
But for sure, and that does make this episode a game changer and introducing those characters breathes fresh air into this episode. Ah, I can't wait for episode four. Oh my gosh, I know. Whatever comes next. Season two is just like (laughs) so good so far. I'm having so much fun. Thanks for writing in, Sunny, and anyone else. Again, our hot stakes is always open. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. We invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and Prophecy underscore Girls on Twitter. You can also reach out to our email at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca. See you next week. Bye.